Hello, I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that gets behind the scenes with the musicians of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today we're finding out about instruments. Where do you get them? How do you choose one? And what difference does it all make? We're joined by cellist David Lale and horn player Mark Vines. Great to have you, David, and welcome back, Mark. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Yeah. Hello. Nice to be here. Hopefully you'll take me on a journey with your instrument. So, David, tell me about your very first cello. So I come from a family of musicians, which is um, not uncommon, I guess, in this profession. So I probably had a half-sized cello, maybe from, uh, I think, my granny, actually. As I progressed up through you know, the sizes of cellos of three-quarter size to a full size, I hired one from the Suffolk County Council just because it wasn't clear if it was something that I wanted to do forever and then when I was started to you know take it a little bit more seriously my parents bought me a really nice cello well really nice for me back then um, <laughs> which was not something I play on now but uh, it was I believe it was about two thousand pounds wow uh, how old were you uh, then probably 11 or 12 my son's 10 and I, I I think, wow, well, that, what a thing for parents to do. You know, it's, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Certainly back then. And then when I really got into it around about sort of 15, my parents decided to buy a professional standard instrument, which they bought from a guy who was a family friend of my grandparents. Yeah. Because my dad's one of seven children and five of them are professional musicians. Wow. All string players as well, so... <gasps> That was an old English cello, which I still have to this day, which I play. It's actually my second cello. Well, I have to say as well, my daughter has taken up the cello. She's seven. So I'm going to maybe hopefully be living that journey. She's got her first, I don't even know what size it is. I guess it's a quarter because she came back with one. It was quite (laughs) large, a bit too large. And then we've got a smaller one. So um, (laughs) no, would that be three quarters? No, I think you can get a quarter size. Quarter size. You can get a quarter size. size. They look look like violas. They're they're (laughs) tiny, but um, I wouldn't put it under your neck. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Mark, tell me about your horn journey. When did you get your first instrument? Unlike Dave, my family don't have a professional music background, so we were sort of starting from scratch, no knowledge at all. But I started on a tenor horn, which is a brass band instrument. Yes. Then my school did a brass band, so we all got to try a brass band instrument, and I got a note out of one one morning, and um, they said, yeah, you can learn that. (laughs) After a few months of playing that, my teacher, who taught all sorts of brass instruments, she said, you should move to the French horn. And I didn't even know what a French horn was then. Um, So I said, yeah, all right. (laughs) So um, my parents got me a French horn. I I can't remember an awful lot about the circumstances of them buying it. I know it was a second-hand instrument. I know it was a boozy in Hawks, obviously well-known for making brass band instruments, uh, less well-known for making French horns. And all I really remember about it, it was was very, very heavy and um, quite dented. And so I had to sort of sit... At a very strange angle and rest the bell on my leg and <laughs> struggle with this very heavy instrument, which is absolutely not the recommended approach when you're starting out. These days, you would probably be told to get a, a single horn, which is a sort of a lighter version of the horn we use in the orchestra. Mm. There are even things called mini French horns, so you can start earlier with a very small instrument. Nice. But I went straight in with the probably the heaviest instrument I've ever played, even to this day. So I played that for, I would guess six months to a year before it became clear that I was likely to continue. 
And at that point, um, we went into a professional store and bought a proper student instrument, eventually working through from there to professional instruments, which I change all the time. um, Isn't that interesting? The instrument that you sort of start learning on as a student, they never tend to be... Well, they're not of the quality that you would then play on later and actually are harder to play. It kind of reminds me of early on, show my age a little bit now, learning to drive a car. And, you know, I had one with the clutch and, you know, all the, all the things are going wrong. But actually, once you've learned to drive on, on a really tough car and learned to play on a tough instrument, then actually the form of playing, it gets better, doesn't it, David? I still have the bow that I did most of my grades on. It's really, really hard to play on that, that bow. And I, I sometimes play on it and I'm, I marvel about how I even managed to get through a piece on it. It's, yeah. it's heavy and balance isn't quite right. Strings are another thing. I remember my, my cello teacher when I, when I first went to college mm. saying, oh, I, you, you must change your strings every... I change them every 11 to 12 days. I'm like, what? I mean, strings wow. are expensive. <laughs> like, expensive. you know, you can spend like... <laughs> these are the, the best strings you can get. So. Yeah. And I see, you know, people I teach and certainly people I grew up with in my youth orchestra and stuff, everyone played on cheap strings. Yeah. No one had good instruments, really. Bows were just bits of firewood, really. It's a good point you make because when you then upgrade, you're just like, whoa, what have I... Yeah. I can make all these colours and I don't have to work so hard yeah. and everything seems... To, but of course, getting there is soul-destroying. You have to work twice as hard to get um, the desired result. And Mark, do you think it is a rite of passage then? Is it the same now that the instruments that students are learning on are still the hardy, work really hard to get a good sound out of them kind of instruments? I think just getting started is the main thing. So if all you can get is someone's guitar that's in the attic or something like that, you just you start on what you can. And yeah. then as you get more serious, then you can start upgrading. How much is finance a barrier to that first instrument that a child has? For brass, less so. Mm. Um, I'm sure Dave's got plenty to say about this. um, He's nodding, I can't wait to hear what he's thinking. um, For brass, you can really, I mean, even even now to the point where I'm a a professional instrument, I very rarely spend more than £10,000 on a professional horn, Mm. for example. That's scratching the surface for a string instrument. But there's no denying that it costs more now to learn an instrument than it did when, when we started out. I don't think... We paid for lessons for tuition or anything like that back at the time. So there are ongoing costs now that, not just the instruments, but they're they're just gradually increasing over time. Hmm. I've got a a memory, and I mean, it makes me shiver every time I think. Uh, We were at my parents' for Christmas, and um, I'd sort of already sort of started touring and doing my own thing. So someone said, oh, could you play something for us now? And I was like, oh, I haven't got my saxophone at home. And my mum was like, you still got your first one in the end. I was like, oh, God. And I remember literally sitting in my old room on my bed and nearly in tears as a growing <laughs> professional musician thinking, how am I going to pull this off? I tried to play it. I couldn't get a note out of it. And I was thinking, wow. how did I play this yeah. as a student? It didn't go well, I tell you that much. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, well done to all the students out there. Well, we're setting the scene. David, how does it work with orchestral musicians, especially in the strings? For string players, do they purchase or would it be a loan then? I think the lion's share of people will purchase. I had, similar to Mark, by about 15, I I had a professional standard instrument. When I got to Guildhall, I felt like I needed to upgrade again. Buying a, an old Italian instrument was out of the question because you're looking at hundreds of thousands of pounds. So the next best option to me at the time felt like um, commissioning a new instrument. 
Oh, wow. To be made. Okay. Um, so one of my colleagues, he had this amazing instrument. I couldn't believe it. You know, it looked incredible. It looked old, looked amazing, sounded incredible. And it was made by a German guy called Hart Hedleff Uldurks, who uh, was based in Lübeck. So I asked him about this instrument and he told me there's a waiting list, but um, you should be able to get one within a year or so. And it's uh, 25,500 euros. I thought, well, that's actually a bit more manageable than... 180 grand or something. Yes. My old cello teacher, who um, Anna Shuttleworth, who I had in, I learnt with in Leeds, who sadly passed away last year, actually. Amazingly, I didn't even ask for it. It just came up in conversation. Sent me a cheque for £10,000. <gasps> if it wasn't for her, there's no way I would have been able to have done it. Or That's I would have had beautiful. to have sold my cello to do it. Yeah. Similarly, there was um, my grandparents helped out and mum and dad I saved up all sorts you know took a bank loan out and by hook or by crook managed to buy this instrument so fast forward I guess let's fast forward about six or seven years I ended up selling back to the guy when I found an old Italian instrument through a colleague so Um, you didn't keep the instrument after that's not the instrument you play now it was a good instrument Uh, it didn't quite work out the way I'd hoped in terms of and how it felt thing, when you played it? How it sounded, how it felt, yeah. This is the thing with modern instruments versus old instruments. When you commission one, it's potluck, really. It's a dark art and you never, no one really knows. The wood could be from the right place, could be hung for 100 years and expert makers, the best. But you never know. And for me, it just didn't quite work out. Mark, is it the same in the horns? I do know that, you know, when you first get your brass instrument, you play it in and, you know, the the metal does still adapt and the springs and things like that. But it's kind of you've weathered that instrument and it becomes part of you. Is is that how it is for the horns as well? It's very difficult trying a brand new instrument because there's very few instruments that play straight off the shop floor as they're going to play after six months or so. I'm not sure the science about how that all works, but yeah, you do blow an instrument in. That's what we call it, blowing it in. And it becomes a bit more free blowing over time, but a really good instrument models itself around you a little bit. It's Mm. sort of, you you do become a partnership. I don't know a better way of putting it than that. Brass instruments are much more like a a car than a string instrument in that basically once you buy it, it depreciates straight away (laughs) as a general rule. Straight Um, off the lot, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't think they improve over time. You, You get that initial sort of, period where you blow it in and it becomes really good and then a really good instrument you might get 20 30 really good years out of it a cheaper instrument might only last five to ten years before it starts losing some of that quality i don't know what it is if sometimes it feels like it loses its ring or something i don't know why that happens and tell me about also with the horns though the different sounds that they make how many horns do you sort of have as part of your professional setup at the moment at the moment i think i've got Four. I've have in the past had two, two or three. Two or three is enough. Mm. I've um, gone through periods of trying to sort of concurrently play two different instruments. So I, I might play one one week and one another week. And I find it causes me all sorts of confusion. And I enjoy playing the horn much more when I just stick to the same instrument yeah. week in, week out. And then I just, I think it just gives me that consistency. I'm also lucky enough now I, I really have an instrument that I love and um, I haven't really found anything else that matches up to it. So I, I want to play that one. Um, it's a hand, handmade instrument by Steve Lewis from, from Chicago. And um, I, it's one of these instruments that I knew what I was looking for. I knew the sound I was after. Um, I knew how I wanted it to feel when I played it, but I was still looking for it. Mm. So I, I knew it was out there, but I hadn't found it. And 
I did in the end. <laughs> so I've had that for about six years now, and I, I find myself very reluctant to play other instruments. I'm, I'm always looking for another one that matches up or, or that gives me something slightly different. Um, but I end up going back to the same one all the time. And when choosing your instrument, I mean, it's a very, very personal journey. And when you found the sound, you know it and you just feel at one with the instrument. How much also does the choice of which instrument you use depend on the other horn players that you're playing with in the LPO? Was that part of the decision? In our section in, in London, I think at the moment, the four of us are all playing completely different makes of instruments sure. on, on a regular basis. But I think we have a section sound. So we've all found a different route to make that sound. So, so the, the instrument in itself for making that sound is less important. There are exceptions to this around the world. One of the notable exceptions is, is in Vienna, where they play the Vienna horn and they make a very specific sound. But as a general rule, you play the instrument that works for you. As long as it blends with everyone else, no one really cares that it might be a different make. You've described the, the section sound. What is that sound compared to other orchestras? Oh, it's very hard to put into words. <laughs> I think the sound of the LPO, this is my theory anyway, I think the sound of our orchestra has developed over decades because of the hall we play in. So we, we play in the Royal Festival Hall, which is a, it's a fantastic concert hall. It's, it's a really big room, really big space. Mm. It's also fairly dry acoustic. It's, it's a really good, very clear acoustic, but it's not like playing in a big church or, or a really boomy concert hall. So you have to do two things, particularly sitting at the back of the orchestra and facing backwards, as horns do. Yeah. First of all, we have to project that sound out. So the easiest way to project the sound out is to play with a really direct sound. Um, but then that's just going to sound really direct and it's not going to blend. So you also have to find the warmth. So I think the LPO as an orchestra has developed because of that hall, a very mm. big and warm sound. And what I love about it is then we go, like next week we're off on tour to Germany and we play in these concert halls that do sort of, they provide a little bit more acoustic help and then the orchestra just sounds huge. Ooh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to a learning on a tougher playing instrument, I guess once you've yeah, honed that sound, it just, yeah. it comes yeah, a little bit. very, very nice. David, you were speaking there about, you know, your journey to your, your final instrument. I mean, I've heard many times, you know, an instrument can be on loan or uh, they're playing a collector's instrument. How does it work with the strings there? Who, who collects the instruments and who are the investors? So for the mega instruments, let's talk about it, the strads and stuff. For the layman, strads. Sorry, Stradivarius, the kind of most renowned string luthier from the 17th century. They're worth millions. I know that um, the Davidoff Strad, for example, was sold for $14 million back in 1990 or something like that to Yo-Yo Ma. It was bought by a bank. And so the bank owned the cello. He came in to do something with us a few years ago and um, he had someone with him, you know, who was from the bank, who goes everywhere. Whenever he goes away, he's, she's always there. Just the cello because has security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. They're antiques, you know, and it's like, like my, my two cellos. One of them was made in 1830, one of them was made in 1770. So even my bow was made in 1820, you know, unlike a horn or a brass instrument, they will just go up and up in value, which is mm. why you get people investing in them. Consortiums are another one. So you could make, I know a few people that have, um, they own a fifth of their instrument and they've got other people as part of a consortium. They've all chipped in a fifth nice. and they, they, it's a bit like, you know, help to buy, isn't it? And what makes the instrument 
so precious? Is it the age that it is or it, is it always in the sound of it? Well, it's, it's a bit of both. The sound under your ear when you're playing a, a modern instrument, if it's made really well, can sound just like an old instrument. Mm. But it's when you get further back, about 10 feet, 20 feet, 50 feet away from a, a modern instrument, it just doesn't have the same resonance, projection, depth of tone. And it's just, just to do with the fact these instruments are 200, 300 years old. The wood is a living thing, really. Mm. It's, it's an organic material which over time will have softened and the plates will have um, developed their own resonance and the frequencies that they resonate more from. It's impossible to get that with a modern instrument just because it's a time factor and the type of wood and the craftsmanship. A lot of these modern makers are absolutely master craftsmen, but they're not Stradivarius. (laughs) A lot has been lost to history in terms of their methods and... Even the climates, I don't know. It's, there's so much that we don't know, I think. Mm. I mean, I don't know, because I'm not a luthier. I'm sure <laughs> they do. But when I told my wife I was thinking about buying a bow for £20,000, <laughs> she, she said, no. <laughs> In short. And, I'll make you one. <laughs> low, yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's the same. It's this antique value and it's this dark art. And there are lots of fantastic modern bow makers and you can buy one for a fraction of the price of of an old one renowned maker but it's something in the sound the type of wood that you're not allowed to use anymore brazilian um pernambuco wood it's very 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 hard to you know almost impossible i'd say to replicate pacats or or torts you know that are worth hundreds of thousands of pounds these bows just a bit of wood (laughs) <laughs> a bit of wood as well, so. <laughs> yeah and it's, it's funny like my pupils are always like oh is it really so this this horse hair has it been on here for 300 years like no 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 no. the horse hair is like you can get rid of that that's so it's 50 the wood quid. it's, it's the, the wood. wood yeah the hair is just anodyne horse hairs it's like well what do you look for in a bow it's just the sound the way it draws the sound you make the balance the way it reacts with your instrument, the way it reacts with you. I've got three bows, and there's one that I always would prefer to use. I'd always choose to use my Dodd bow, which is 180 years old, just because of the sound. And in this world of antique string instruments, Mm. the instruments are so expensive. Can it be quite a murky market to navigate in terms of fakes or, you know, deals not quite going through? Have you heard of Mm. any any, uh, stories that have happened? Um... There's definitely stories about fakes and, and no way am I going to say who it is uh, because <laughs> then it's all rumours anyway, isn't it? But um, And it's, it's not just one person, but there's within a, an instrument, you'll have a, a label and it will be, say, Guarneri or Strad or Bill Watson or whoever. He makes bows. But. So there's definitely stories of people thinking they bought something and it turns out to be something else. It's, most of the time it's for the worse. You know, you think you've bought a Ruggieri and you've bought a... From Margio. <laughs> <laughs> um, <I like> so, <laughs> uh, but there, uh, there's one story of, of someone who thought that they'd been done over. They've oh, I've just found out I've bought this, this, this cello that I had from this this guy who's gone to prison. This guy went to jail for fraud for falsifying all these instruments. Oh, I thought I'd bought a um, Kappa. It's an old Italian cello, middle kind of ring. Still, still worth about hundred grand. And they found out that. It wasn't a Kappa, it was a Gefrilla, which is worth five times that. Oh so my they goodness. Cashed, <laughs> they yeah, got I know. the right way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's that few and far between. I think I, 
these stories are sort of decades old. I don't think you hear about it now. I think it's just too much. They can be verified uh, a lot yeah, easier. Yeah, um, is it dendronology? Oh, that's, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, it's to do with the, you can find out how oh. old the wood is and even where it's from. Dendrochronology. Dendrochronology, I think that's what it is. The DNA of the instrument. Yes, that's right, yeah. yeah. And Mark, we've heard how personal this journey is. When you find your instrument, you you feel like you've got the extension of you. That's how I feel with my saxophone as well. You pick it up, you know what sound's going to come out, and you just feel that that's your true voice. Yeah. So have you ever lost your instrument for a start? Or (laughs) have you ever damaged an instrument that's been so precious to you and just, you know, your heart just breaking? It's funny you should ask me. <laughs> I've um, I-, I can think of at least three occasions. <laughs> three. <laughs> three separate occasions. Yeah, um, two with the same instrument, one with the previous one. I have this um, a- another very nice horn that I-, I don't use so often anymore, but I used it for a few years. Made by a, a Norwegian hornmaker called Dan Rauk. Actually, I think he's American, but was working in Norway. I was lucky enough to get one of the last instruments he made before he retired. And he only made a few a year and um, they're all handmade and there used to be a long waiting list. So this is an irreplaceable instrument. And I've left it on the train twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know you'd think I'd learn after the first time, wouldn't you? But I, I certainly have after the second time. And so how the did first you recover time, them? Yeah. For the first time, I was very lucky. Um, I have the, the label on the instrument, which says London Philharmonic Orchestra, and it has my mobile phone number on it. And so a very kind guard called me and said, I've found this. I think it might be an important, I think it might be a musical instrument. So, and, it, and, I, was, oh, and I hadn't realised, and I was just driving home, I got off the train. So he um, arranged to take the instrument off the train at Southampton, and I just got straight in the car and drove down there, and I was able to pick it up that night. You know, my heart beating, but I got it back. But well, you got it back. Yeah, it's nah. not too bad. That's all okay. The second time was a, a, not as good an experience, <laughs> because I... What, what happens sometimes when we're traveling a lot with the orchestra, we put our instruments in boxes and they get taken from place to place. So you get into a mindset of not carrying your instrument, which is what, how you can forget it. So I think this had been going on for a few weeks. I hadn't really been carrying my instrument back and forth. And on this occasion, I had brought it home and then completely forgotten. So I left it on the train and I didn't even realize I'd left it on the train. I just went home and didn't oh, think God. about it until the next morning... <laughs> to get up to go, go go to a concert it's like oh no and then just when you you know when you just you get that sort of faint feeling and you yes. just uh, and I was in a dreadful state so um, I called up the train company and they well they said well it would have gone down to lost property in Weymouth but the cleaner would have taken it off and put it into lost property but we only empty that twice a week so we no. can't tell you whether we've got it until oh Friday and, and so, no one oh called you with your name tag on that no not no this time no so I put something on social media to say um, if, if anyone's found this because I was worried someone had taken it and I was emailing all the cash converters shops around the around the oh country and this, this um, <laughs> so this this social media post was doing the rounds you know hundreds of people saw it to my embarrassment <laughs> yes, <laughs> everyone sorry. knew everyone in the whole world player, knew yeah. And, and meanwhile, all I could do was sort of wait and hope that it had just ended up in lost property, which got taken back to Waterloo twice a week. So I was sort of calling them every day and they said, no, I told you they don't come back till Friday. So finally, I went on the Friday morning and there it was. And oh, I got it back. thank goodness. So the, the thing I do now, which isn't always popular, I, I will never anymore put my horn in the overhead compartment on the train. Yes. Because that's, that's how I forgot it. Um, so it always goes underneath my feet. 
And I know people say, no, you must put that on the overhead rack. It's like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Forget it. So the previous oh. occasion, the, the only other occasion, was it was a different horn. This, this horn wasn't as valuable. Um, but the situation was bad because I left it in a taxi in, in my previous job in Hong Kong. And I realised as soon as the taxi had driven off, but I didn't know how to get it back. I, I didn't get the taxi's registration number. I had a language barrier. I couldn't find the number to call. And I, ended up, I, was, I was knocking on the window of another taxi driver and trying to explain to this, this poor driver that I'd lost my instrument in this taxi and how could I get it back. And the, he didn't understand me. He didn't understand a word I was saying. He was completely confused. So I was basically standing outside this ferry at sort of half past 12 in the morning, absolutely panicking because I had another concert that night. So I wasn't worried about the instrument long term because it wasn't an expensive instrument and I knew it was insured, but I had a concert the next day. Whoa. And um, while I was standing there panicking, in the next sort of 20 minutes, the driver came back. Bless him. He'd found it. I think, don't think it wasn't in the boot, it was in the back seat. And another passenger had got in and said, oh, someone's left this. And he remembered and he wow. came back. So just by chance... He just drove back around and they brought yeah. my horn. There are good I, citizens in this I world. I tried to thrust cash at him as a reward say. and he wouldn't take it. So, no, yeah, no that was... I've been lucky every time and you'd think I'd learn, but I, I, yeah, I hope I have now. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's a horrible you, feeling. Absolutely horrible feeling. I can't even feeling. imagine. I'm glad yeah. that they were always returned. Mm. That, that's really, yeah. really, really good. Um, and David, have you ever had that experience? You spoke as well about having to repair those antique instruments, sort of get in the the mm. hairline cracks in order mm. and things like that. Mm. Have you ever well, written off or lost your instrument? Well, thankfully, I've never written one off, but um, there's a, there's some brilliant stories of people that have. Um, brilliant please, and terrible. Please, please tell me just one. We spent an orchestra called South Bank Symphonia, and uh, before I joined uh, LPA, way before then, we used to drink outside a pub called The White Heart down um, in Waterloo. We used to do concerts on a Thursday called Rush Hour Concerts. We used to always leave our instruments Outside the pub, but we'd be outside too. So there'd okay. be a big sort of bonfire of... Uh, <laughs> uh, Please, not literally. Um, yeah, a pyre, <laughs> a pyre of, of um, string, yeah, <laughs> string instruments. And we'd be out there and a few drinks and then bit by bit people would leave and then we'd all sort of end up inside. And then this guy who will remain nameless at the end of the day, you know, last orders, blah, 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 went outside. So I thought, oh, my cello's on. I've left it outside. And he went out and he wasn't there. Mm. And it was just... Oh my God! Did you not bring it in? Like, oh no, I didn't. I left it out. I thought people would be. No, everyone had gone. So just didn't know what to do. What do you do? He reported it to the police and and everything. And anyway, his mum then got a phone call because in the cello, for some reason, he is his home address with the, with a phone number and stuff, and yeah. he didn't live there anymore. Is his mum's phone number? So his mum got this phone call saying, "We've got this big violin. <laughs> uh, you want it back? We'll meet you at." Waterloo Station tomorrow, t- t- two hundred and fifty quid cash. Oh my goodness! Right, and this cello, this cello is worth fifty grand, maybe sixty. Oh. I don't know. So she said, "Yeah, okay, fine." And uh, didn't tell. St- oh, almost said his name. Didn't tell this guy. She handled and, it um, herself. Didn't tell him because she, she knew that he would say, "You're not going. You know, it's too dangerous." And just get the police. So, but she's like, "Well, it's worth fifty grand, two hundred fifty yeah. quid. It's going to do it." So she turned up, gave, handed over the cash, got no. the cello. Yeah, and that was that, and and said, "Oh, I've got your cello back." Almost said his name again. Yeah, um, I saw it. Mum's got you. Yeah, yeah. It's a remarkable story. Um, oh wow! The the best one about writing a cello off was a. Um, it was going to be so obvious who it is now. Um, a principal cello of a London orchestra a number of years ago was doing a concert at somewhere of a, a modern piece. He didn't really 
like the piece. You know, didn't think much of it. So thought he'd just play on a Duff instrument, you know, um, mm. modern instrument that had been in the store for what he, to him, seemed like a number of years without being new. So at the end of the concert, stood up, put the cello on the floor and stamped no. on the cello. No, he didn't. No. Yeah. And turns out it was an old instrument. So when and, you say uh, store, is this the storage of the orchestra? Or I'm not saying where or, or, yes, but it's in the orchestra store covered. Oh, yeah. no. It's this folklore and it just yeah, turned out to be someone's kind of quite precious family instrument. Oh, he did a full <laughs> Jimi done. Hendrix on and an once, antique. Yeah, and that's the thing about, you know, you can't repair that, it's done. No. And you could claim for insurance and you can blah, blah, blah. But... Once that instrument's gone, it's gone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a, it's Thank a, it's you a for warning, sharing that. A yeah. warning. Uh, <laughs> know what instrument you're going to wreck before you wreck it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. My last question to you then, very quick fire, and your answer can be, I've found it already. What would be your dream instrument, Mark? I think I've found it already. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Share with us again what your instrument is and why yeah, you So I, I play a horn by Steve Lewis, who's a Chicago horn maker. And it's, there's not many of us in the UK playing them, but it just, it was exactly what I was after. I, I have a very specific sort of idea of the sound I wanted to make. Actually, in my own head, I think of it as like a really well-cooked risotto. Ooh. So the sound I'm looking for is it's sort of soft, but with a core in the middle. <laughs> so that's just the best way of describing it is it is a really well-cooked risotto. The warmth of sound, but with a centre to it. Mm. And um, I thought I knew the type of horn that would give me that. And Steve made that type of horn. It's a particular a layout. It's a, they call it the wrap with the horn, the way that where the tubing is wrapped. And this is called a Gaia wrap, named after an older horn maker, and a lot mm. of people replicate that. And Steve just makes them particularly well. He's a perfectionist, and he... Um, the time and care he puts into his instruments and it just it just fit as soon as I got one it, it, it just fit it was just the right instrument for me and I know David uh, speaks about bows as well Mark just very quickly you haven't spoken about mouthpieces have you found that as well oh that's a whole other podcast <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what that means <laughs> Well, we'll definitely have you back for that because oh, I, no, I know no, the battle. I don't think anyone wants to listen to that one. <laughs> so still looking then? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Do you, oh, well, it's, I mean, that one is one you can't really answer until you've played it, right? You, don't, you wouldn't have a dream mouthpiece. You just know what it feels like. Everything's, a, com- everything's a compromise. And, um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm still trying to find the answer to that one. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mark. And David, tell me, have you found your dream instrument or have you still got your sight set? And tell me about the bow again. Is that still on the list? Well, I think for me, I'm not, not going to find one that's better than what I've got unless I've, I win the lottery um, and I can buy Yo-Yo Mars Strad off him, um, which <laughs> I don't think is going to happen. He wouldn't sell it to me anyway. Uh, but although, <laughs> funnily enough, I have actually played on his cello. Um, well, I was going to ask, what did it feel like to play it? Was it all that it was cracked up to be? Yes, um, oh. in, in short. And it's the history of it is Jackie Strad, you know, it was um, Jackie and Dupre's Strad. Yo-Yo Ma is just an idol of mine, you know, and it was just the fact that he let me have a go on it. I was like, I wouldn't, funnily enough, actually, I wasn't allowed to play on his bow, which was a taut. That speaks volumes, actually, about the importance of the bow. If you snap a bow for whatever reason, which is very hard to do, immediately halves in value. So a million pound bow, which is what it was. I know, it's crazy. I I wouldn't give it to you either. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd be wise not to. You seem lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, So we found the cello. Yeah. 
so definitely definitely um that cello i mean just for the, the history of it but uh, yes incredible sound i mean but that's not going to happen so mm. i stick to what i've got which is an old italian instrument uh, made around the same sort of time in milan not cremona bow wise i've got a lovely bow made by john dodd which was like 180 years old you know mm. but yeah, I'd love. I mean, I'd love. I love a torte or a cat, but yeah, you give me five hundred grand, and then I can. I can go and get I'll one. Just add it to the Christmas list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant! But well, I'd never thank play you. it though. I'd be scared to break it. So just yeah, be... <laughs> a glass cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for sharing. I've really, really enjoyed the insight into your journey of finding your instrument and how you got there. Thank you both very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Mark Vines and David Lale for taking us on a journey through the world of orchestral instruments and where to find them. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod and thank you so much for listening. Do join me for the next episode of LPO Offstage where we'll be learning how musicians and conductors keep in top condition for their jobs. Music